You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast. Today we talk to Casey Mainsbridge, and this episode is full of insights from someone who has spent all of his life to this point studying and practicing movement and the human body. Enjoy. Today on Fit Mind Fit Body, I am delighted yet again to introduce another guest, and this is Casey Mainsbridge. How I didn't I just stepped over your name very badly then. Casey Mainsbridge. Hello, Casey. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm very well and excited with the opportunity to speak with you today. I, I Actually, you've just moved. I've known you on and off for many years in the Launceston community because it's quite small, but you've just moved from Launceston, I found, when I invited you to, to come and speak. Where are you living now? Well, look, it's interesting you say that. I grew up on the northwest coast of Tasmania um, in a little place called Somerset, uh, close to Burnie, oh. and uh, that was big as a child. Then I made the big move to Launceston, which at the time for me was a big move, uh, and then I ended up living in Launceston for over half of my life. Mm. And then, uh, look, I've just been probably, I've had some challenge in the last couple of years at a professional level, and I found myself looking for other opportunities, and uh, that took me abroad, but uh, I was lucky enough to find myself a position uh, in a place called Armadale, which is in New South Wales, um, about a five and a half hour drive from Sydney, close to Tamworth. So I've been here three weeks. That's amazing. I love it that it's at this new stage too. We'll get into it more shortly, but let's go right back to Somerset. I actually grew up on King Island and every time somebody tells me that they're from the Northwest Coast, they feel like cousins. Close. Anyway, it is. It is. Tell me about Somerset and your childhood. What was that like? I had a terrific childhood, uh, very fond memories and a small community, a lot of small communities along the northwest coast there, close to the beach. That's probably the thing I miss most. Um, But my memories of um, life there were largely based around the outdoors, playing, riding the bike, easily going and socialising with um, neighbours and other households. Everyone knew where everyone was and their kids and so on. Um, But sport was a a prominent feature. And I think that the sense of community on the northwest coast with Devonport, Latrobe, Mm -hmm. Wynyard, Alveston, Penguin and so on, those communities were self-sufficient in resources and facilities Mm -hmm. uh, and with a level of expertise. So sport was something that I slipped into um, fairly easily. But probably before that, I was just someone who had a lot of buzz, I suppose. Mm. I was busy, active, running around, playing, seemed to always have a ball in my hand, was outdoors and had a bit of an affiliation with um, movement and the notion of what the body could do. And I still feel that way um, many decades later. So that that's certainly my memories and, and then involved basketball, soccer, a little bit of Australian rules, football, volleyball, and then swimming, riding and, and running. Yeah, so lots of ball sports in there too, I <laughs> noticed. There was. I always seemed to have a ball in my hand. <laughs> I was one of those children. So um, that's lasted. So, I mean, there seems to be one set of kids and another set of kids. Some kids, are, their parents almost have to 
you know, push them. It seems more these days. I don't know if I'm getting old and we're like, in my day, blah, blah, blah. We're always outside. But it's that whereas other kids have an intrinsic sort of motivation to keep moving and you were just sort of explaining that a little bit in that you could recognise that in yourself when you were a kid. Yeah, intrinsic motivation is definitely the, the the term. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I certainly had that. I like a challenge. I like to test myself. I've always been like that. I like to try and perform well in whatever it is that I do. And and certainly the sport and physical activity and um, variations of that were passion. They were passions for me. I had enthusiasm mm-hmm. for that. So, but at the same time, there were always, as you say. Um, friends of mine, peers, other families who um, didn't have a natural disposition for it and they had to get the push and the nudge. And and I think we still see that today in many regards. So, um, but look, I found that not only did I like the challenge and the physical benefits um, and, and then the growth that came through participating, but I think the social, mm. emotional and mental benefits that I got from it. And I found that as time went on, I was able to use it as a mechanism to socialise and bring other people together and mm. reap those benefits mm. other than just um, what was gained physically. Mm. So, um, and that, that sort of directed me towards a career and, um, mm. and that I'm still involved with. So so before we get into that, were your, do you have siblings to start? Yes, I do. I have a brother who's a year older than me, uh, complete opposites. Um, wow. Spent most of our time um, at fighting, basically. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but look, very, very different. He he did have some interest in sport, but not the intrinsic motivation that I did. Um, he's an engineer and he was into Lego and Transformers and that. that's the path that he's taken. Uh, and I have a younger sister who um, she spent a lot of years, my mum and dad separated at a young age, so she spent most of the years growing up with mum. And look, they're both um, less... Um, Active. Probably interested in, in, <laughs> in the notion of being active and and have less passion than I do. So, yeah, I was I was quite opposite to that. So uh, my brother didn't need that much pushing, but he didn't naturally put his foot forward. And, and my sister never really showed a lot of interest in um, in sport and, until a little bit later in her life. So I was the anomaly or the middle child syndrome, if you can uh, <laughs> refer to that. The middle child in my family always brings that out too. Um, <laughs> the middle child. Um, what about your parents? Were they particularly sporty? Um, look, not really. Um, it was never something that they um, expected us to get involved with. Um, my my dad, my dad brought up my brother and I effectively, and we got him into sport administratively through our participation. So. Cool. Um, terrific parents. Um, I certainly get my my fire and my motivation and my desire from my mother. Um, but look, they were active and healthy. Yeah. Um, I think they looked after themselves. Um, we, were, we were sound nutritionally uh, and we were active and we were supported in that, but they never um, had any involvement with sport um, while we were, while we were yeah. children. So it, it was our decision. Um, but I, look, Michelle, we were very well supported in whatever decisions that yeah. we wanted to make and, and whatever paths we wanted to yeah. pursue. So, but no, it wasn't role model to me. 
Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, I've got one half of my family. Like my dad is pretty sporty, but as I said to you before, off the recording, my mum's an art therapist. She doesn't like sport, like the competition thing and someone has to win and someone has to lose. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, so, so I've had both in my in my life, but very supportive at the same time. So totally understand that. So you're getting to the end of your, your schooling. Oh, where did you do year 11 and 12? I guess, um, is it the Hellier? What else? What? what yes, yeah, so I did go to Hell Yeah College, as we used to call it. <laughs> so look, I Somerset Primary School, I went to the wonderful educational institution of Burnie High School. Excellent. Um, found my way there and then, yeah, onto the hill at Hell Yeah College. Um, and look, I, I found for me that was a really good time because I, I knew what direction I wanted to head in. I had passion and interest. And I, I felt that 11 and 12 were really good times to sink my teeth into that and also gain some independence. And um, back in those days, I mean, I'm sure you, you may remember or maybe your experience was different. You either went and worked or you went and did further study. And yeah. um, I knew that I wanted to become a teacher. Um, yeah. So after university, I went. But, um, yeah, my, my time in on the Northwest Coast was um, definitely looked upon positive. That's awesome. And so when you went off to teaching, is that Launceston? You came into Launceston then, did you? Is that how that worked? Yeah, so uh, big move back in mm. um, the mid-90s. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I did what was called a Bachelor of Human Movement, which is now a Bachelor of Health and Physical Education teaching. Like PE. <laughs> Correct, yes. <laughs> that's, um, I'm pretty because when I did uni uh, 10 years before you, that's the yeah. <laughs> Yes. We used to point to the guys running around in all their PE gear. And we oh, that, that's to, PE that still happens. Oh, they're, they're the PEs. So exactly. They just run around and play games and bounce balls and things. Um, those those exactly. um, reputations still exist. Yeah, so I, I spent four years studying um, at university and that was a really good time for shaping me and the, mm. the, the person and the professional that I wanted to be. Um, and with, I think, in those days, and it's still a little bit the same, I went in there with a vision that I would study for four years in Launceston and then mm-hmm. go back to the Northwest Coast mm-hmm. and be a, be a health and PE teacher. Um, and that's what most other people did. They went back and taught where they grew up. But I found myself at an opportunity at a place called Theogenes Health and Squash Centre, my, oh my first gosh. ever job as a 21-year-old no. um, working okay. in the health and fitness industry. That was always a, a secondary interest for me. Yeah. Um, and I did that part post uni and I found myself not going straight into teaching, but working in the health and fitness industry. And that really, and I still do some work in that field today. And that really, uh, was not, not sure about life changing, but, uh, where I felt I found a real niche. So what were you doing at the Odyssey's, but in those early days? Well, it started with uh, cleaning toilets and showers. Oh, yeah, that's, that's very all much that in sort the of stuff. I, I, want, I want people to know that I started doing <laughs> those. Yeah. Correct. Um, but it was my first job. But look, awesome. essentially what it was, I, I taught learn to swim. Uh, that oh, was yeah. how I started. And that was one of the most challenging um, occupations at the time. But it really taught me the notion of how to communicate with people in a challenging environment, mm-hmm. how to make something fun, but mm-hmm. to make learning the emphasis. So those three things I took mm-hmm. away from that. And I really, um, that resonated with me. I did a little bit of work supervising in the gym area. 
um, trying to help people with exercise technique and just some advice around programming and goals and motivation, um, all different shapes, all different sizes, all different abilities and disabilities. Yeah. Uh, and then I got into taking some fitness classes in my um, one-piece leotard and um, – <laughs> that was a, a bumpy start, but, wow. um, and then I, I got into taking all sorts of classes and, um, a little bit of personal training and helping people with nutrition and also some rehabilitation. So really quite broad. Yeah, um, that is, yeah. Did, while all this is going, so while you're at uni for a start, um, what sport were you doing outside of obviously the sport that you did? As part of the course, of, I mean, as I said before, yep. I, I'm teacher trained also, and the PE kids, guys and girls, just seem to all be just hanging out outside, throwing the basketball around. <laughs> what else oh, did that, you do? <laughs> I'm sure. Well, that, that um that still exists, and uh, <laughs> I certainly remember those times. So, look, I, I, on the northwest coast, I, I found myself getting into basketball. That was probably yeah. my main love, and I continued. I played that for, for twenty years. So, yeah. I was doing that whilst I was going through university, yeah. um, and then continuing on. And I played right through to my early thirties. Yeah. Um, so, team stuff is. Yeah, look, I played a little bit of volleyball. Um, had, I, I dabbled in Australian rules football a little bit, but I, I must say, along the way. I always valued, and this is something that I inherently um, believe in. I've just always felt this way, that the body is the most wonderful instrument that anyone can ever have. Mm -hmm. Um, It's wonderful, it's unique, it's like no other, and it can do wonderful things, and it's designed to move. So whilst playing those sports, I always had an inherent drive and passion for keeping fit and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I aspired when I watched the Olympics. I aspired when I watched DNBL basketball, VFL, AFL football, any any sport mm-hmm. and what people made look so easy all through yeah. their body. So I just had an inherent passion for that. So I always kept fit outside of the team sports and that was through running. Mm-hmm through swimming and through bike riding, whether it be going for a ride or or actively commuting. So those things have always been a part of my life as well. And look, I may not have been the best player, but I I pretty confidently say I was always one of the fittest. Uh, And I valued the health, the body and and the fitness side of it. So yeah, it was just part of my life. Um, But Do you feel like it, it, I mean, it's a silly question really to someone like you, but that it, helped when it came to the study and the things that were outside of the physical but more into the mental like you're having to study and and even the work that you do I think would be quite mentally taxing sometimes so being fit maybe I don't know that you've ever experienced the opposite side of that you know where you've got to try and use your mind but you're not very fit at the time of your bodies so it's that supporting role it almost is playing a supporting role that's an interesting question um Look, I think I've always been fairly motivated and, and disciplined oh. in my approach. Mm-hmm. So physical activity and health and fitness have always, for the most part, been part of my daily routine. Yeah. And it feels a little bit strange if I don't do it. Yeah. But yeah. yes, there have been times where, so I had to, I did a PhD while I was working at the university and that was the hardest thing I ever did. And I really did yeah. lose track of my health <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and fitness. And I had some harsh reminders that I was out of shape along the way kicks up the butt so look there have been times but to to probably try and answer your question what I found studying at uni and then 
of my working career is I love the physical benefits of exercise and running and physical mm-hmm. activity, but they've become secondary to the mental and emotional shift I get Excellent. from doing them. So it's great thinking time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a distraction from whatever's going on and I can remove myself from that. I can challenge myself personally, mm-hmm. um, but just it, it does give me some clearance from other things and mm-hmm. removal. Um, and again, my, my approach has always been fairly disciplined. I know the benefits in it. I see that. So I, I go and do it. And that's really my thinking. Um, there's always other things to do, Michelle. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I probably didn't realize it in those younger years, but there was always that mental, emotional and social benefit and even environmental benefit that I obtained when I was doing it. But I just probably wasn't aware of it when I was a bit younger until I actually really started started studying. So um, I still like the physical benefits, but they've become secondary. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, so you've been at Theogenes and you've moved <laughs> through. What, what came next for you? Okay, so um, I did do a lot of work there um, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot about people. Yeah. Um, but I, I did t- do some teaching in a primary school and I got into doing some work with adult education with over 50s, um, trying to get them to That's move. <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> then I found myself doing some casual teaching at the university. Um, and there was a period over 12 months where I had four different jobs and that was good. I liked yeah. that, but I realized it wasn't sustainable. And I found my work resonated most. I felt it resonated most with those young adults mm. um, who were going and studying a career in teaching in, in, in health and physical education or human movement or, mm-hmm. as you say, the PEs. Yeah. <laughs> so I had an opportunity there and that um, – I think we all get opportunities, but what we choose to do with them yeah. um, can often be the difference. So I pounced on that, mm. not, but I didn't neglect my work in the health and fitness industry. I kept doing some of that. But, yeah, my university career started in 2003. I worked wow. casually for 18 months, and then an opportunity came after that. So I found myself um, – I probably felt I could make the biggest difference with people who were – that made a decision to pursue a particular career um, mm. and a little bit like-minded – but um, I felt that I could help them along the way to become the best health and PE practitioners or teachers Mm -hmm. um, that they could be. Um, And that motivated me and I enjoyed that. And uh, that's where I'm still working um, nearly 20 years later. Wow. So what are you most proud of, of this long career now, educating other, I keep using the word PE because that's what's in my head. Yeah, that's... (laughs) PE teachers. (laughs) What am I most proud of? Yeah. I don't know that I've ever been asked that in my career. Well, um, <laughs> I think I'm most – look, I why I do what I do is because I want to be able to help people and make a positive mm-hmm. difference to everybody that I come in contact with or communicate with, and that's always been my philosophy. Working with those students in, at university, they don't all make it, mm. um, but I, I think <clears> – <throat> The best part of them while working with them at university is seeing them out there teaching practicums at schools, out there doing what they do and Mm -hmm. and know that I've been a small part of that. The best part of it is when they graduate and then Mm -hmm. I see them out working in their careers um, and think, I was a small part of that journey and that's terrific for me. Um, And then hopefully uh, an outcome of the work that I've done with them uh, is that they're influencing 
the, gen the younger generations in primary school and high school and so on. So that's really important. And, and teaching is a, uh, I think it's the second most important job to being a parent. Ar mm -hmm. Others would argue that. Um, but um, yeah, that's really what what motivates me. And when I can see that, it's, it's, I think, yep, I was able to make a difference. Whether it be small or large, I was part yeah. of that. It's a little bit like the, the passion that you feel as a, a sports person with, or any kind of, you know, when you take on running, I keep I just use running as my example and you get really excited and passionate about it. And then it's like, why doesn't everybody know? And then in my brain, it's like, well, I start then trying to work out how we get more people to get into exercise and to have it as something that they do uh, all the time for lots of reasons and how good it is for us physically and mentally. And then you go back to school and then usually these conversations usually end in, well, if you could get the kids to, you know, adopt these kind of um, healthy behaviors, then, you know, you end up with adults that are, have, are aware, whether they choose to use them or not, at least they're aware and they're in their toolbox. We often talk here about toolboxes and how yep. you know, when parents uh, are healthy, even if your kid doesn't choose to do that at that time, it's something that they know is in their DNA because their parents are, you know, actively doing stuff it's it's in their toolbox and it's that it's kind of those things you know the fact that you're teaching educators is a long way around to yep. what I'm trying to say yep. to do that uh is a much bigger bang for your buck almost like rather than you going and teaching yourself you are actually teaching a whole you know generations of people who are then going out and teaching the next generation as well so it's exponential look I've got lots of comments about what you've just said and I think there's there's a few things I think there's the the whole nature nurture discussion mm -hmm. that we could mm -hmm. have and you talk about DNA and so on and mm -hmm. and we're products of the environment we're surrounded by um, I think and look another part of my job as well as teaching is we're, we're expected to do research so I do research some of these areas but your point about those early years and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the habits and the behaviors and the lifestyles exhibited in the younger years typically persist lifelong mm. um, and they might come to fruition at different times so it just illustrates the importance of those younger years in shaping values beliefs morals personality and and interests um, and I think for me, as we've discussed, that was sport and activity and so on. But what I realised along the way was that sport or, or any physical activity can be a great mechanism to bring people together mm -hmm. and for people to grow and develop and learn about themselves. And I wanted to be part of that. And I found that I wanted to help other people. Yeah. Um, that's just me, my personality. So... I, I found that I continued to do that more and more as I aged and then prior to university and through university and, and that's taken me now to where I am. I realised mm. that not it doesn't work like that for everybody and mm. sure, there's been other things that I've wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but again, intrinsically and this disposition I have, that's that's where it's originated. And I think all of those things combine nature, nurture, those early years and then what they the platforms they provide going forward are really so critical um, in where someone eventuates. And look, we love running um, for lots of reasons and running, I was always running um, and I've continued to do that. So um, yeah, I've tried to get other, your question about why doesn't everyone do this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's certainly been a question I've asked often. <laughs> 
Sorry. It's so easy. It's like, as in, it's not easy. It's one step in front of the other. As simple is probably a better description for it. Well, look, I, I think easy is, is okay. Simple as well. I think a lot of people do make it complicated and they have this perception that it's hard. And and maybe, maybe their memories of whether it be PE or a particular teacher or a sporting experience um, are critical in, in shaping <laughs> behaviour. Mm. Yeah. Mm, good point. Um, talking about that, what's one of your fondest memories when it comes to a sporting or it doesn't have to be running, whatever, or it doesn't have to be like winning a championship or anything or any of that, just it could have been a training run or a training ride or a swim or something where you just you think about that every now and then and it always gives you little shivers down your spine. It's like, oh, that was awesome. Okay, again, I think another question that I've never been asked. I certainly ask others it, but okay, look. Yeah, I as as much as I've taken part in events, uh, running, triathlon, swimming mm-hmm. events, um, I think each one has its own special achievements mm-hmm. within it. Um, so I think consistency for me across those is important. But look, I, I, the point to Pinnacle, yeah. Um, back before that really boomed as an event. Um, now. Yes. Um, mm. I just, I think the challenge of the half marathon, 85, 90% of it uphill um, is pretty special. Um, mm-hmm. And in my earlier years, so I was probably in my late 20s um, when I first did that. I finished in the top 20 um, and I I did about an hour and 48. And I think it was probably one of the few times where I've actually trained properly for something. (laughs) I'm I'm great at telling people how to train. Well, (laughs) I think I'm great perhaps, but um, not always good at exhibiting what I speak about. So, yeah, I think there was a couple of point to pinnacles. Um, I've done two half Ironman mm. uh, events, um, and one of those, again, I probably felt that it was the fittest I'd been. Yeah. So it was more in how I prepared myself. Uh, unfortunately, that event uh, didn't work out too well. I, I did have a bit of a underlying injury just oh. just before the event mm-hmm. date, and that 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 broke me. And I haven't really done a triathlon since then. But my preparation for that, uh, other than that, Michelle, I think that. Um, I always wanted to do a marathon. I've yeah. I've done done three, finished two, um, oh. and just just to be able to say that I that I've done a yeah. marathon um, is uh, yeah, there's something I'm pretty proud of. Mm. So, what is it? Do you think about that idea of doing a marathon that we have in our minds? It's kind of such an elusive. It's it's a bucket list thing on so many Definitely. people's lists, and it's. I wonder why is it because of the story. You know, because of the original marathon yeah. story, is that why it's in our culture that it's such a bucket list item? I would suggest that that the history of it and mm. the, the the Greek history, um, and I think that still has so much meaning at the Olympic level, yeah. uh, and and with the, the 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 modern Olympics coming back to Athens and and so on. I, I really think that's nostalgic about it, and you probably don't hear that as much about other sports and events as you do the marathon. Mm. Um, so, look, I, I never forget my first one, Michelle. It was the Gold Coast Marathon in two thousand and six. Um, another event that I really didn't prepare that well for, but thought oh, I'm, 
I'm, I'm fit, I'll be okay. I've done that one. Um, <laughs> and I remember <laughs> going to the expo with a, a colleague of mine who was his first marathon too, and when we had a look around and we spoke to the people that um, there and they said, oh, oh, this is your first one. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> nice. And I'll never forget that. And I thought, oh, that's oh an interesting gosh. statement. And then um, – yeah, I must say, at the start, there were all different shapes, all different mm. sizes, ages, and I thought, yep. how can some of these people complete a marathon? But they did, uh, and I learned a lot about myself on that journey. Uh, my now wife, we weren't married at the time, but she was there, and if she wasn't there, I don't think I would have finished. Oh, wow. um, but it just was part of the event for me that that day was a, a bit, I suppose a bit of an out of body experience mm. um and I sat on the toilet afterwards in the cubicle I couldn't get back up um but it just was look I I I I'm not sure perhaps we go back to why people do events and for me mm. it's the personal challenge it's the test mm. of me and my body and my um psychological capacity and to be able to cross that finish line, as delirious as I was, um, yeah, that that I, I don't think I've in any event I've done since. I don't think I've felt the same as what I did in the marathons I've done. Like a sense of satisfaction, you've set yourself a goal, you've gone through the training, you've managed to get to the start line, and here you are at the finish line, having completed. Yeah, and. And I think the 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 undulations that you experience during the event and the challenges and what you, what you overcome. So, and look, I I I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I have had a a mother of four, and and some other mothers say to me, it's the equivalent of giving birth doing a marathon. Now I've I'm... had five children and I've done <laughs> nine marathons. <laughs> so it's easier yeah, that's than a giving fair, birth. It's a fair achievement. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Look, I think, yeah, you're right. The history and the culture around that and what it represents is um, more than just a, a run, I think. Um, yeah. And look, I think every event has that, but I think it's it's probably a little bit more um, exemplified in, in the marathon world. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about around that. Um, one thing is when, and this is more a mental health kind of question, whenever I've finished a marathon, I have this, it's a kind of like a, I think I love it being in that moment. Like I, f- I finished the marathon. I feel so happy with myself. I've crossed the line, blah, 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 blah. But there's also this panic that this feeling is going to go soon and I'll be back to the start, if that makes sense. I like, it's like how, how I, it's probably the same whenever we have any life or awesome life moments happen, but even Christmas, I don't know, <laughs> you know, where yeah. it's like this This is yep. a great moment in my life and I want to hold on to it and I don't want to let it go, but it's almost the panic for you letting it go or, or thinking that it's not going to last forever because it's not, nothing does. It ruins the moment in a way. It's kind of like it's a real um, head <laughs> thing. I want, do you have that thought? You know, like it just, it, it kind of feels in or falls into the next question, which is around you never know when you're at your fittest because this, you know how you said you were at your fittest at one point? Mm. You probably at that moment didn't think, oh, I'm, you know, I'd have thought, oh, I feel great now. I'm pretty fit. But you didn't, it never occurred to you at that moment, this is the fittest I'm ever going to be at that moment because it's not how it works. <laughs> but it's kind of like looking back, you think, oh, I wish I kind of knew I was the fittest at that moment. I'm blah, blah, Look, blah, blah. Michelle, you, you, you've <laughs> articulated a really interesting point. And I've done a little bit of work with 
um, groups and individuals on exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about because it happens in yeah. Christmas, New Year's, um, a big event, anything like that. So I think there's a couple of things to think about. Yeah. We, I think humans, for some reason, whether it's the societal perception or the negative information that we hear on the news and we rarely hear yeah. anything positive, I think we fail to give ourselves enough credit for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think people give themselves a pat on the back enough and are mm-hmm. satisfied with what they've done. And people should give themselves more credit when they've done mm-hmm. something like that. They'll have achieved something that they've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. All these people that cross the finish line and they're disappointed with their times. Yeah. Well, hang on a sec. Just get some perspective here and have a look at what you've done. And no two runs are the same. So I, I think that's part of it. Um I think I've done a lot of work with pe- providing and helping people with training programs for mm. for an event, and you want to mm. you want to bit your peak at that time, a little bit of taper. Um, but there's so much focus and energy put on that that there's no thought to given about what's next. Yeah. yeah. So a tip I would provide is okay. You're preparing for the the Gold Coast Marathon in the first weekend of July. Mm. Um, at a particular time point on that journey, when then I might say, okay, let's have a think about what's next in the, the second six, mm-hmm. five or six months of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something to look forward to. There's a an, an ongoing succession of goals. Um, I've done some work with steps challenges and yet people who are sedentary who need to go and do steps challenges mm-hmm. and they change their behavior. Mm-hmm. But then the event happens. And then now what? So I think as professionals and practitioners and people who might help others, that's something to think about. Um, Yeah, so sorry. Oh, just because people, I mean, that's the other element to that is where people take it the next too far. Like it's you you do a 10. Okay, well, I must do a 21 next. I've done a 21. I must do a marathon. I've done a marathon. Oh, my gosh. There's so many people doing ultras now. I've got to do it, you know, and then it's like yeah. 100K. Oh, I really should do 200K next, you know, whatever. And so there is no limit and it feels like you're there's, you're almost on this ladder that has no end. You just keep going up and up until you get really exhausted unless there's you've got something else going on to, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. You see that happen a lot and then people get a bit burnt out, perhaps. Good. Um <laughs> you're exactly right. Something that I did mean to say earlier. So as I said, I, I was required to do a PhD at, with my job and uh, that was part of my um, requirement to, to maintain my position. Now, that was, aside from the marathons, uh, that was the hardest thing I've done and it just consumed my life. But somehow I got there and then when it wasn't there anymore, yeah. it felt strange. It felt really strange. So I do get that and then having to find other areas to put my attention. Yeah. Um, look, my, my work in the health and fitness industry, I did see a lot of people who got into body sculpting and bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really, for a lot of them, it was a complete shift from how they'd been living their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very regimented. Everything's weighed. Mm-hmm. Everything's on a timeline. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nearly obsessive. Mm-hmm. And there's probably people like that in in, in running and triathlon and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when the competition's finished, what now? Because yeah. I've just really – and I do know some people that can't break out of that habit. Mm-hmm. So, look, I, look – Maybe it gets back to 
okay, what am I really doing this for? Why have I chosen to do this? What am I hoping to get out of it? Not someone else who's yeah. doing ultra marathons. Yeah. What am I hoping to get out of it? What What are my goals? And let's revisit the reasons I'm doing this. Because if I'm getting so caught up in what other people are doing, Mm. And what I, and perhaps what I'm not doing, then that's going to shift my focus from what I'm doing. So I think it comes back to that inherent that intrinsic motive. Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy. And like I working with a girl here who she does no training during the week. She trains on the weekend and she goes and runs ultra marathons. I think I've done three marathons. Well, and I, I feel like, oh gee, that's not much. So but it is. So I give myself credit because they were tough and I know what I put into those. So let's not lose sight of why we're doing it, what we want to get out of it, and, and stop comparing. <laughs> uh, you don't you don't do it for other people. You yeah. do it to be involved, but you don't do it for them. That's not the reason you're doing it. Yeah. So stop comparing yourself to mm. them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And just, mm. you know, being in that moment, just enjoy, as you said, what you have achieved and and to be in that space and allow that to and just give you, give yourself some credit yeah. because the majority of the population don't like running. Mm. Um, don't so well, you and I, you and I can work <laughs> to change that, Michelle. But um, don't, don't don't lose sight of the great um, achievements that you've made and and growth yeah. and development you've had along the way. The one thing that I have developed now after I've been racing since I was twenty six and now fifty. Three um, is I hate racing now. Like I, I just hate it with a passion. I get um, anxious, even though I've got no chance of winning, unless I'm at the handicap races. But you know, I've got no chance really. So it's not, it's not to do with that. It's to, I don't. So, but I still love to go running, and I'll still set myself challenges. But at the moment in this season, and that's another thing I think we don't think of enough or don't reflect on enough is that anything that's going you're going through now is not even going to be relevant in another, mm-hmm. however, whether it's weeks or months or whatever, is a season. So right now it's not something that I want to do, but I'm happy and excited to set myself challenges. To So whether it's to go and run an ultra marathon in a trail, but it probably won't be signing up for an event that does that. It will be a run that I set myself and set a training program and then make it happen that way. So I, there's lots of ways that you can make the next step, even if that you can you feel like there's a roadblock in front of you, which is what I feel Absolutely. like. Absolutely. And credit to you for being able to diversify your approach. And look, I've I've had some conversations with people who are terrific runners, mm. um, very fit and healthy, and they'll say to me, Why do I need an event to do this? Mm. Well, you don't. But I have a question for you, Michelle, based on what you've just said. No. Why? This is like my own therapy. Thank you. <laughs> Why don't you like the events? I actually love the event. I hate the start. So every single marathon that I've run, and I've, I've run quite a few and some ultras as well, um, just before, the day before, and right leading up to the actual start, don't talk to me. <laughs> like normally I'm a really like, this is what I'm like all the time. Usually you've met me lots of times. I'm like, this is what I'm like. But just before I have a complete personality change, I'm just really anxious. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, and I don't like that feeling. It's not nice. Like I even did the Bruni mm-hmm. Island one last year and yep. I, that's how I felt leading up to that. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm just here with a bunch of friends as well. And, and I just felt really like physically ill just leading into it. And I thought, this is stupid. So why, I think, why I, do that to myself? Well, I, okay. And I, well, look, I think a lot of people feel it. So 
a couple of things for you to consider, and and I know many others have similar experiences. Mm. Um, the event is the reward. Mm. Well, I do love that once I start, once I start running, yeah, I'm fine. At the finish, I'm like ecstatic. Just before, yep. <laughs> horrible. The, the the event is the reward. It's it's okay. Here's the 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 celebration of all mm-hmm. the work you've put in. Mm-hmm. Um, let's stop that one. And I, look, I think about what yeah. you said. And I just I wonder what it is that makes you feel that way. Is it this societal expectation that that you think exists, or is it because you others are seeing you, or the social evaluation? Um, and I look, I used to get a little bit caught up in my times, um, and and what people would think of my times. But then I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. They don't care. <laughs> Not I think, really. <laughs> I think they do, but I'm actually getting myself a little bit uptight and uneasy because I think other people are looking at my times. No, they're not actually. That's you, Casey. So look, I, think, I, I think Michelle and, and others, stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Yeah. Just go and enjoy. And you can actually, I, I know the feelings at the start line when people start saying, oh, I haven't done any training for this, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. I, I actually find I, I shifted my focus to this is great being around people. It's great to yeah. see so many people out here yeah. challenging themselves um, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to try and have a good time. Mm-hmm. I want to do well, but I'll do what I can. And let's enjoy the the accumulation of this work coming together at, in an event. So mm-hmm. um, I think there are some ways around it. Um, mm-hmm. But look, I think many people feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, use it as a celebration. That's a good point. I'm going to try that. Yeah, I love it. I'm always teaching other people what to do with their mind. So I love that. I need to probably... Definitely do some more things with mine. Just oh, and they, and they look, they do provide a good goal for people. Hmm. Um, planning yes. things around events, yeah. so that's another yeah. benefit. Yeah, and it, and they're fun. Like especially if you're doing something away from home too. Some like there's other elements to it, which can. Add- I used to plan. We used to plan our travel around events. I'm sure <laughs> so- Emily loved that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, guilty. Um, all right, what does your what does your running look like now in your life now? Yeah. Okay. So very different to what it once did. So mm-hmm. look, there was probably a period I never really followed a strict running regime when I was, I, I'd been involved with triathlon for nearly 20 years, but as a participant for 15 years, and I, I was pretty happy if I was able to get out and do two runs a week consistently. Um, but it was pretty unstructured in terms of I didn't calendar it or anything. But running was something I always did. I enjoyed running to work. I would run places to see people. Um, my wife would go and have a partying night on the town in Launceston and I'd run and get the car the next morning, things like that. It was yeah. it became quite incidental, but I just enjoyed it. Um, but I found, I mentioned the, an event that broke me and that was in 2019 at uh, Western Sydney Half Ironman where I just, an injury really derailed my running and my body just didn't um it just didn't perform like it that it had done and I, I to be honest Michelle I really haven't recovered since then and I just thought my body needed a bit of a rest from running what sort of injury did you have just out of I had I had some loss of sensation in in my quads and hamstrings and uh it seemed that I'd a little bit of back um, mm-hmm. tightness, which I've never had back trouble before, but it was affecting the sciatic and the femoral nerves and mm-hmm. it affect, it affected my function in my quadriceps and my hamstrings. And I, and I really, I couldn't run functionally. 
Um, and I finished that day again, my wife and son were there. Had they not been there, I don't reckon I would have finished, mm. but I, I, there were some parts of me I couldn't feel. Um, so I just, I took a, a little bit of a, I had some reflection and thought maybe I need to just ease up on running a little bit. So, yeah. um, it looks very sporadic. Um, since my move up here to Armadale, I've uh, I've con- I've continued to swim and ride and, and mm-hmm. go to the gym and do some organised sessions when I can. But I've actually started doing some um, short burst running. So mm-hmm. um, I did a I ran about five kilometres on the weekend on grass, but it was a sixteen hundred, twelve hundred, eight hundred, some four hundreds and two hundreds. So, yeah. and I think my body will cope with that a little bit. And I can tell you. It had been some time, Um, but I can see myself probably doing that a bit more regularly. Um, Occasionally, I'll have the sporadic run if I I want to go and visit somebody, but I think what I'm in my mid-40s now, what I'd like to pursue in the next 10 to 15 years is getting back into some triathlon, and um, I would love to do an Ironman um, later in life, whatever that looks like. So... um, Yeah, it's it's very different to what it's looked like for most of my life. My okay, running. Yep. and how how do you? Obviously, you're you're good at coming to terms with that. Like you, you seem to be, or or you do you struggle with that a little bit? I miss it, hmm. um, but I know that if I was to run like I used to, um, maybe two times a week um, for between forty five and sixty minutes, um, hmm. then I wouldn't recover. Yeah. Current, currently and mm-hmm. it would just and look I have a son who I want to get out and a wife I want to get out and do things with so I miss it and I miss yeah. the feeling uh, yeah. I think running gives me a feeling like no other form of exercise can you explain um, it? yeah I can I feel like I, lo- I love the human body I think yeah. the body is a wonderful instrument and it's designed to move and I think running it expends the most energy of any physical activity. Mm-hmm. The whole body's being used. It's challenging, um, but I like that challenge and I, I want that challenge. And um, when I can work towards that challenge and, and hopefully overcome it, I, f- I feel terrific. So you talk about the feeling that you have when you cross the finish line, and yeah. then, but then you have, oh, I'm not going to feel this again for a while now. Yeah. I, I love that feeling. I think that's the best drug. Um, yeah. So, but during, in the process, I find that I can think, I feel good, my body feels good. And I think this is what it's all about. Um, yeah. So I do miss that. Um, but I'll, I'll get that back in time. At the moment, my painful um, anaerobic threshold work running on the grass is um, it's a good substitute. <laughs> is it? What are you doing now for those times where, in the past, you would have said, "Oh, I've got to go for a run," like, or you know, I because you know, life's got yep. lots of things going on, and and well, for many of us who are who mostly just run, running is what we do in order for that debrief or. Yep. Uh, decompress if you like what do i do i um i've found in recent more recent years i've been swimming more regularly um and i'm I'm, i like whole body activity Mm -hmm. so i do find swimming therapeutic in the sense that i love the feel of the water and um support i think a lot um here in armadale i don't have a car Oh, sweet! Got so a bike. I'm, I'm I sure bought you've got a bike, a bike. <laughs> and oh my word, it's um the hills are long over here. Oh, like wow, one sister's really? hilly, but 
but yeah, they're really long here. So that's sorted me out. Is flat, isn't it? Well, the, the, the CBD is, but everything around it isn't. Um, oh, so I, I write, I'm writing daily, and that's I don't have a choice. But yeah. um, I would have done that anyway. It's a great mm -hmm. way to check things out here. Mm. And look, I've always been someone. I've enjoyed doing weights, but I, I don't need to do weights. So I do a lot of body weight exercise. Mm -hmm. So um, last night I did two sets of twenty burpees. Yeah. Um, for some strange reason, oh. and I do, and that's. <laughs> Those, when the ads come on, I don't sit and watch. I'll get up and I'll do some okay. some activity. So I and I'm consistent. I do that regularly. So they're the things that I'm doing. Um, I normally have a standing desk at work, Michelle, but yeah. I don't have one here. So I'm finding myself going for walks um, a couple of times during the day as well. So yeah, um, yeah but I'll, I'll steadily ease back into some running in the in the coming years. Yeah. yeah. Um, you were saying with your work, so you're working with the university there, uh, and. PE students, I assume. <laughs> yep. PE teaching students. Um, but you have other things as well that you're doing. Do you do are you working with other people with their tell me about that? Like what, what does that look like? The other things you do apart. Other from... parts of my job? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so higher education or university um, teaching's part of it, but mm -hmm. there is also an, um, a component of the job which um, relates to research. So I, I certainly don't think I'm an, I'm an expert, but I might have some expertise in particular areas. Yep. So um, I, there are things I'd like to find out more about. So I do some research um, on various things about teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, I also do work around health and habits and behaviour change. Mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about it. that. Would be my main mm -hmm. passion. A little bit of work around student engagement. So that that involves doing some. Um, action research or active research with organisations mm -hmm. or schools or populations, collecting data, making mm -hmm. sense of that data and then writing about it. So um, it's nice to be able to make an active contribution to the field um, and see if we can add value and enhance learning and knowledge in a particular area. And then there's a component of the job, which is community service. So, and I enjoy that. Um, and that's where I might get out and do some work engaging with the school or mm. with a sporting club or um, uh, that type of thing. So they're the components of the job. Um, and in, in the new place I am now, I will start to get into that probably next year. And there is a triathlon club here and there's a park run and that type of thing. So, yeah, it's not only teaching, it's also learning more uh, and, yeah. and adding to the knowledge in particular areas. So obviously what fascinates me most is what you said uh, you're most passionate about, <laughs> which is the, the habit change because obviously yeah. that's that's such a big thing. I mean, I've got atomic habits over there. So. Yes. You know, those yes. kind of things, <laughs> sort of something that all of us when we start to look at ourselves and uh, try and work out what the magic formula is. What kind of things are you coming up with? What would you have okay. to do? What was like, you know, I know this is like, here, take all of your 40 plus years of experience and knowledge and tell me <laughs> well, in two I seconds. Think <laughs> humans are notoriously creatures of habit. Mm. Um, we we know, notoriously do things out of frequency of behavior, stable context and environment that we're constantly exposed to. And as, as we age or the more often we do things, it's really hard to break some of those things. Mm. I've done some work with people with um, biting the nails. Um, mm -hmm always parking in the same spot, gambling, all yeah. different sorts of things. Yeah. So, um, and look, I'm not sure that it's a one size fits all. Yeah. Um, but look, my work has been on, uh, I did, my PhD was on people sitting at work. 
Uh, and we, we, my colleagues, my two supervisors designed a work-based intervention that took over people's computer screen every 45 minutes. And they consented to standing as soon as the computer screen was taking, taken over. Wow. Now, that frustrated the life out of them. They hated it. They wanted to throw their computer, but they did it. They stood yeah. and they moved and we provided some office-based activity for them. Um, and then we found, I found with most people, after about four to six weeks of exposure, mm-hmm. it started to become part of their day. Uh, so they found it hard. They didn't like it. There was a period mm-hmm. of this is really Resistance. pissing me off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then over time, most people, not all, incorporated into their day. And some of them said, oh, it actually gives me a really good mental break standing up and moving. Mm. Another gentleman said, it's actually stopped me, helped me stop smoking. Wow. <laughs> so I think thing, and so what we're looking at there is a passive prompt, something that comes up or nudges somebody mm. or choice architecture, mm. and that gets them to think about, hang on a sec, I am doing this, mm. mindful, makes them aware of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then try and incorporate some change into that. So behaviour change is hard. It takes time. And I think people have got to make a conscious choice. But then over time with consistent exposure, um, mm. things can become habitual. And hopefully they're, they're favourable things. Yeah, the positive um, habits. <laughs> so I don't have all the all the answers, but what? look, I'm particularly <laughs> interested about people's health, um, maybe substance abuse, uh, yeah. cigarette smoking, alcohol, yeah. sedentary behaviour physical activity, um, technology, mm. technology use. So, yeah, I'll continue to, to put some energy into that. It's amazing to me how many people on the podcast have come on and said, um, I I have an addictive personality, you know, before I was addicted to food or addicted to something, whatever, um, but now I'm addicted to running. Like they'll just say, or they'll say, if I wasn't addicted to running, I'd be addicted to something that was unhealthy. So I'm glad I'm addicted to running. So that, that's a good like, thing. As a habit, and I'm like, yeah. it's quite interesting the way we we phrase it. Um, Your yeah, personality is interesting, and the addictive notion. But I, I think probably people need to realise that they can make change. And if mm. someone's saying, mm. "I do things addictively," mm. are you saying that you can't change? Um, so, but yeah, yeah. absolutely, addictive running that. is um, is good as long as it's healthy. Mm. And it's mm. not too addictive. Yeah, exactly, Rob. <laughs> yes, you can go. It's balance. There's the word. It's balance. Um, we often talk on the podcast about your mind and how you don't, just because your mind says something, i.e., you know, I can't do that, running's hard, blah, 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 I don't run in the rain, whatever, um, that's just a thought. <laughs> it's not a fact. <laughs> you know, you just, just because you thought it doesn't make it true, basically, whereas so many of us just live our lives based on something that's come into our head true or not true or or an emotion which is connected to thoughts anyway so it's like yeah release yourself of all that and stop (laughs) stop making it uh, the way you lead your life I suppose yeah that's a terrific point and I look I actually I believe that thinking about something is often harder than doing it Mm. and I chatted to three colleagues last night who were on their way to the gym they go Monday Wednesday Friday after work and they said, oh, I really don't want to go tonight, oh, this and that. And we spoke about it. And I said, you know, you'll be fine once you get there. And they said, yep. But it yep. was the thinking about it. Yep. And I think. Well, that's me believe, at the start line. Sorry. A, little, a little bit. Yeah. But I, I think I believe that all this 
thinking and perhaps worrying and pressure that mm. people might be putting on themselves. Mm. Really? Is it really worth that? Is it really that important? You're just going to the gym or you, you, mm. you've trained for this. You're just now going and doing it or um, whatever it might. Well, you, yeah. you really think that you, you need to eat that. So you, you mentioned about mindfulness and being present. Take a step back and actually think about why are you thinking this? What am I doing? Do I really need to or why aren't I? And and just probably stop putting so much pressure. Um, Ask some yeah. questions. Good questions. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, when it comes to motivating, how do you how in the past or even now do you motivate yourself to get out the door? Obviously you're not running so much at the moment or whatever, but you mm. still are motivating yourself to go swim. You, you've got no choice but to ride, so you're kind of yeah. making it like you have to. Well, I could catch case. a taxi all the time. But <laughs> you um... could. There you go. So you are actually. And what about when it's raining? Uh-oh. Um, I've been riding in the rain. It's see? quite refreshing, actually. I just went for a run in the rain just before we came. Yeah, it's pouring here today. Uh, anyway, um, so motivating. So do you have any tips, I guess, because a lot of people, it, it's fine, they get excited. We've talked about that before, people who first get into running and decide it's amazing and then then you lose that because that's like that spark at the start and then but to can keep it going and being consistent where it becomes something that you do and something of who you are um, there's a sort of motivation tricks and things that can be helpful I think to motivate people to get out the door Look, I, I've never really had any issues with motivation mm, around yes. physical activity and exercise. I continue to seek um, those opportunities and make a part of my daily life. However, mm. there have been times where I've realised that I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's difficult, but I use that as an opportunity to learn and grow and find out a bit more about myself and, and, and take a different challenge. Mm-hmm. And there's a period, Michelle, where it's uncomfortable. Mm. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. I know that it'll be uncomfortable. Um, that won't last forever. Um, so, yeah, that's I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, at the same time, again, I, I talk about when I was doing my PhD and it was, it was really extremely hard because I was working full time. I had a young son and I hated it. Yeah. Yeah. There were times when I hated it and I look back now and I think, that wasn't an enjoyable experience. Mm. But you know what? I did it. That you did I it. did it and I got there and it's created lots of opportunities for me. Does that but make I still you don't Dr. Mainsbridge now? Oh, apparently. Yay! <laughs> it's just a silly title. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, <That's exciting. laughs> um, I'm still on the same tweet, Michelle. Um, <laughs> oh, good. But I look that. I look back and I don't have positive memories about that. But at yeah. the same time, there's still a lot of good that came from it and I learn about myself and there's been opportunities created. So it doesn't always have to be rosy. It doesn't always mm. have to be um, pleasant and and, it, and it's going to be bumpy and uncomfortable, but that's how we grow and learn. So look, motivation. Um, I think what we've spoken about, mm. why am I doing this or why do I want good to questions. do this? What do I want to get out of it and why is this important to me? Okay, if it's important to me, then what's my goal? What's my target? What am I doing? What do I think I can, can achieve? And we can talk about short-term, medium-term and long-term goals, but it's important to have a target because otherwise, why are you doing this? And your target might be, I want to do this two times a week. 
Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be an event. It doesn't have to be a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think people need to, if they feel that there's something they're not happy about or there's a problem or that's not for me, but I know I need to do it, then, okay, well, why is that the case? Well, what can we do about that? And there has to be a conscious choice to say, I know I need to do this and this is why. Mm. Yeah. So you have to have to put a plan in place. Now, that might be Casey won't run unless Michelle comes around. Mm-hmm. She's the nudge that I need. She's mm-hmm. going to keep me accountable and responsible. So that's going to be my going to be my mechanism to get me started. Yep. You've got to start somewhere. So, and often the start's the hardest part. So, look, I if it's important to people, then they'll do it. But they might need a plan or a structure yeah, to go some about strategies it. Strategies around it. Yeah. yeah look, I don't. Good. I don't have the silver bullet. No. Uh, and it's I, different for everyone, which is sort yeah. of what you're saying too. Yeah. What will work for me may not work for you. Blah blah blah. blah. But I mean, I've had people that say, "Oh, I'm going to stop using my phone so much. Or, I'm I'm going to stop smoking or this and that," and they throw it around but they don't change their behavior. And then I'll say, well, why did you say that? It's obviously <laughs> not important to you. Is Certainly it important not, to you? Not enough. Not well, enough. if it's important to you, let's put some things in place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's make it happen. Um, yeah. One thing that we do talk about on the podcast quite a bit is identity. Hmm. And so we usually start that conversation where I will ask you when you called yourself a runner or if you do call yourself a runner. So when did I start calling myself yeah. a runner? Yeah. You probably can't remember. And some people will say, I don't call myself a runner or I never have or something as well. So yeah, I've probably never associated myself with that term. Um, hmm. I, I would say, oh, but there would be people that say, oh, Casey, he's a runner. Yeah. Um, or Michelle, she, she's a runner. <laughs> um, I, I probably, yeah, I'm, I mean, you talk about doctor. I'm not, I'm not a big one for titles or labels. <laughs> um, I've never, I've never called myself a runner. I'm somebody who enjoys running. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and when did I start that? Um, I've probably never not been someone who enjoys running. Yeah. Which is sort of what you said. Earlier. I, I don't have yeah. any recollection of that. I've always yeah. been running. And if you speak to my dad and, and my, my parents, people close to me, they would say that Casey always had a ball in his hand. Yeah. He's always running around. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm someone who enjoys running. Uh, if the people want to call me a runner, good on. Okay, <laughs> just like I can call you doctor because you did the work. Um, so, so when so therefore, when you can't, so when now it's an interesting question for you at the moment because it isn't. It is something you've not really been able to do for a while, at least not to the level you could in the past. Yep. Um, Maybe it'd be better to ask you from the perspective of how would you feel identity-wise, how would you deal with it if, say, for the next six months you couldn't ride, swim, run, you couldn't do any of your normal physical, you couldn't go to the gym type of stuff. How would you deal with it in the identity kind of space in your head? It's an outstanding question. And I think probably a lot of people would say I have an identity through um, my – yes, mm-hmm. yep. So, look, I can I can answer this from lived experience, I had a terrible injury called plantar fasciitis. Bad, worst injury I've had. It was bad. Um, and at the time, I was probably I was enjoying getting out and having a regular run, uh, probably a couple of times a week. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do it, mm. and I realised how much I valued it when I couldn't do it. Yeah. That was, I'll never forget that. That was many years ago. Um, and plantar fasciitis is a whole different sort of injury. But, and did I feel like I lost some identity? Probably a little bit. Um, but I, I realized I missed doing it. 
Um, so I looked at things a little bit differently after that. Um, I found other things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I was creative. I challenged yeah. myself. I got outside my comfort zone and did some other things. Um, but that certainly made me realize how much I missed it and I valued it. Um, so in terms of my identity and what was important to me, I found other things and I was able to keep uh, active, but I, it yeah. was, it, they weren't the same as running. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was sensible and I took the time and it was six months where I couldn't do any running okay. and I got back into it sporadically. So um, now my view, look, mid forties, as I said, my goals and things have changed. Once upon a time, there was a period where I, I wanted to go faster. Yeah. I wanted to have faster times. Yeah. And then some of the points we talked about earlier about Casey, people aren't worried about your other times and that, that sort of led me to reshifting why I, why I was running and what, what it was that was important to me in running. And it it wasn't the times Mm. Um, it was health. It was the challenge. It was um, seeing if I could follow a plan and and put it together in a performance. It was different things. And now um, I'm in the position where, Yep, I'm still active. I still have identity through that, and that uh, that's important to me. But I, I I do I run for different reasons, and um, it, it's not about what it used to be about. So, yeah. look, I have the I think if anything, I have the capacity to take a step back and say, why are you doing this? Why is this important? Mm-hmm. How are you going to go about it? Let's see how we go and um, find what works best for me. Mm. So, yep, it's been a, a pretty interesting evolution the way you describe it too, for you, and it, which is what happens to all of us we often get stuck in this narrow thing where we think this is what life is now forever, but actually it's not and things are going to change. It's like the seasons that we talked about before. Um, So (laughs) do you think you'll run for how long in your life now that you're only, you're not even halfway through your life yet? (laughs) No one's ever put it like that before. (laughs) Um, I'll always run. I look at something that I aspire to is I see these, I've been involved with the Australian Masters Games before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did swimming and when you're 18 or older, you're a Masters level in swimming. <laughs> uh, but I did that in 2017 when it was in Tasmania. And look, it's just so inspiring. Um, mm-hmm. And I see highlights on the TV of the World Masters Games and there's 95-year-olds in the 100-metre sprint. And I think that's going to be me. So I have this body. It's been terrific to me. I've looked after it for the most part and Mm -hmm. I'll continue to do that. So, um, look, I think running's the best form of exercise. It's it's my favourite form of exercise. I miss miss the feeling. (laughs) I've always thought that and I'll continue to do it. Look, I, I think probably in my late 50s, 60s, I'll try and get back in. I'd love to do the Hawaii Ironman. It's always been wow. a goal since I've been nine years old. <laughs> and I want to keep running. Um, and I want to see how long I can keep doing that for. So uh, there's That's plenty awesome. of inspiration out there for me. And mm-hmm. um, I've got no reason to believe I can't. That's awesome. Um, I love it. Most people will answer similarly <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. But every now and then someone will say, oh, about 55 <laughs> even got a date and I'm like oh cool <laughs> okay. unless there's a reason for me not to yeah, um, yeah why would I think otherwise <laughs> that's right exactly we all wanted to run forever um what do you think some of the hidden benefits of running are um they're probably not I hidden think, to I, you because you know <laughs> I think that 
I think that people can grow and develop personally through exercise and activity and running, absolutely. Um, I think that they can learn a lot about themselves and what they're capable of Mm. um, through running at an individual level. And I think running can be exercise, physical activity, and running can be a mechanism by which someone can um, learn about themselves and, and transfer that into other facets of their life, whether it be career, whether it be relationships, um, whether it be their their other um, risk-taking behaviours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen people do that where they've had a life of partying and drinking and smoking and other things and, and, they've, and running has been the mechanism by which they've been able to change some of those mm-hmm. things, completely led by themselves. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think... It provides a great foundation for for personal growth and development. If yeah. if people want to use it for that, I think socially as well. Um, like I, I have a lot of conversations with people about cyclists and how it's not about the bike ride, how it's about the sitting around in your your cool gear, having a coffee afterwards. Well, but really, I, I live on uh, I live on top of Brady's Lookout Road. If you uh, remember yes. that is, yeah, and so. Roseview's Drive. It's got. It's still quite a yeah. way away. It's like four hundred meters at the bottom of the hill, but we can hear them talking. The cyclists yeah. <laughs> when they go on Saturday mornings, and and actually it seems to be a lot more now. So they're, they're always chattering. Is really yeah. what but, I'm but, saying. Absolutely. But from a, a sociological and a psychological lens, it's the mechanism that brings people together. Yeah. It's no different to people going out in their Harley Davidsons or people going out regularly on a Friday. It's the same concept. Mm. So I think. Um, it can really, through socialisation, and I know there's things in Launceston that happen early morning, yeah. there's some crews that grow out and things like that regularly, it brings people together and there's so much that people can, um, relationships that can be fostered through that yeah. environment. So, um, yeah, and look, people don't, when they think about running, they don't think about these things instinctively. Right. They think about yeah. the pain and discomfort. And look, then we could talk environmentally, oh, all spiritually, all that sort yeah. of stuff. So mm. um, I don't think those elements are sold well enough. No. I think it, it's an actually amazing how many people have come on the podcast and said, like, I started running to get fit, lose weight, whatever, but I stayed running because of all the people I met and the friends I now That have. captures it's it like, perfectly. Oh, <laughs> it's really sweet. That is. Like, I yep. love it. And I'll say, you know, I can pretty much most of my friends now <laughs> seem to be runners or, you know, whatever. Like-minded. That's good. That's yeah, a good story. Which is lovely because it keeps you, as you were saying before, the accountability and the sort of connection and the motivation. If all your friends do that kind of thing, it, as humans, we tend to want to do what our friends do. Anyway, so it's good. Um, how do you think or what what would you, your life be missing if you hadn't, if running wasn't a part of it? Just kind of a similar sort of question, just reversed, <laughs> but related to your life in particularly, what would you be missing out on? I don't think I'd probably be the person that I am in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, and I, as I said before, I've taken the career path that I have because I wanted to make a positive difference to everybody that I come in contact with or communicate with, but I want to help people because mm-hmm. I see people out there that I think I can help. Had I not been someone that's always run, been a runner or enjoyed running or and the other activities I've been involved with, I don't think I would have been able to do those things. And if I did, I wouldn't have been able to do them as well. Mm. Um, I think I've helped some people, whether it be mm. a, a little bit or, or a healthy amount. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that has been learnt through running. And I remember I, I was the instructor for the first Launceston Bernie 10 running program in 2004. Yeah. And that was through adult education. And um, I, I still communicate with some of those people now. Um, and some of the other programs I've done, uh, half marathon training and so on, I still have really close relationships with those people. So that's, that means a lot to me, but to answer your question, I don't think I would have probably had the passion or drive or capacity to do it as I've done, Mm. um, had I not had running as part of my life. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Um, but you, you've talked a few times about writing programs for people. Do you still do that? Is that still like you? coach type of role i suppose do you um, still do that? like or only to friends that you've done it for probably. yeah look I, I that's something that i i in in recent years have been asked to do a lot of mm. um and i i do enjoy doing that um i still do it occasionally um but i think a lot there are, there's a lot more resource and um service Internet. available <laughs> yeah in that field and it's not it does take time. And my wife said I was too generous with my time sometimes and um, overhelped, which is, which I can be, I can do, but look, I I still do provide some help and advice with some of those things. And I'm happy to do that. Yep. Oh, that's lovely. Well, Hmm. just leave all your details. I'll put them on the thing and then (laughs) you might get here just like that before you know, or or not. Um, Anyway, (laughs) the, before we wrap up, is there anything about, running in general that we haven't covered that you would like us to talk about? I think I could talk about this all day, Michelle. It's just been terrific. But I look, I think... Um... I'll ask you for some beginner runner tips in a minute, but this is just sort of... yeah. So, some of the interesting... Re- I'm, I'm very passionate about active transport, despite the fact that I only have a bike over here. Um, yeah. that, that, I, I, I find that... I'd like to see more um, promotion and recognition and, and advertising about opportunities for people to actively travel through walking and running and, yeah, and actively commuting. Right. And I know that the scooters are around Launceston and other communities and they've, they they always cause controversy before we, the, the benefits of them are, are captured. Um, but, look, something that I... I think I'll probably research later in life. I, I find that I've done some reading around how running yeah. has helped people um, change their lives, such as people from criminal backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's running programs in in jails and and those sorts of facilities. Um, I, I really think that interests me, and mm. I think there's an opportunity to talk about how it can actually be a mechanism for which it can change someone's life um, who might be facing some challenge or, for example, have a criminal history or, or whatever. So um, that's of personal interest for me and, and that's a whole other conversation. But I think mm. that's something that I'd like to investigate further in the coming years. It um, it makes me think a little bit of the program, the Aboriginal Marathon, yeah. New York or Boston or yeah, one of, no, one of New those. York, with Robert they, D. Costello, mm, yeah. Yeah, it made me think a bit of that, you know, that idea because changing culture as a result of, them definitely doing the running. I thought, oh, that's so cool. Kind of yeah. very powerful sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. And the same and with, you know, prison community, similar kind of. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very powerful. Yep. I, I did have um, Christine Timms on earlier. Um, she's at one of the parkrun organisers from for here in Tassie years ago, and um, she was saying that they have 
taken Parkrun a little bit into prisons as well. So maybe that was part of the article. Ah. Yeah. So, but again, to to introduce them because of, I assume, similar reasons that that article that you read uh, would have been bringing out. So, look, yeah. I think I think something like what we've talked about prisons, so, lower socioeconomic mm. communities. There, there's. I mean, anybody can run, um, and mm. I think the cost of um, cost of uh, starting is so yeah little then, compared to many other sports. And then there's perhaps this belief and a lack of self-efficacy that I can't do it mm. because I've never been able to do it. Well, let's challenge that and change that. And there's okay. some good examples. Just um, when I asked people this, the question I asked you earlier about you know anything that you could run there or whatever that you could remember that was awesome, and you were talking about marathons. For me, if anybody needed an idea, I would tell them about a time where I ran from home into work when I was working in an office. It was like 21 kilometres. It was the first time I'd run that far. I think the running club was about to do Scottsdale report and I needed to do a 21. <laughs> anyway, so I was running. I ran to work and so I was, must have been 29 or something and the sun was coming up over Ben Lomond across the river. And I just never forget that. Yeah. Like I, normally... Most people I knew would go to work in the car when they live 20-odd kilometres from work, you know, and it was just that empowering type of thing. And I think if you can pass those kind of moments on to other people where they can have those experiences as well, that empowering, as you said, uh, with yep. people in lower socioeconomic and, and other life situations and cultural situations they find themselves in. And that's a, well done for doing, for doing that because <laughs> I have to ride to and from work at the moment. You've got to go to work. You chose to run, uh, so you ha- it's, it's a good idea to run somewhere you have to go um, <laughs> yes. as well. So, But, yeah, it's funny how you never forget those things and it's probably yeah. not necessarily the actual a- running. It's what happened on the run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was that, that feeling of empowerment. If I can do this, yep. what can't I? there's nothing I can't do. I mean, that was sort of good. that went through my Very head. Very powerful. Time. And I still remember it. This is like 20, more than 20 years ago. So, anyway, there you go. Um, that's my memory. Before we wrap up, and it has been an amazing conversation, as you said, we could keep going like all day. Yeah, we could. <laughs> we have to like cut it up into parts. <laughs> um, can I have some tips for beginners? When people come up to you and say, Casey, how do I get started running? How do you, where do you, what direction do you send them in? Yeah, I have been asked that a lot. And again, knowing a little bit about the person always helps, yeah. um, but that, that might not always be the case. Um, I've given some programs before where I've, um, to help people get into running and Mm -hmm. really it's been, you're going for a walk and Mm -hmm. you're going to do some jogging in it. Um, so it might be that, um, often I'll, I'll, if they go outdoors, I'll get them to do it on a, on a softer surface, not necessarily road. Uh, and it, it's a walk with some with running interspersed yeah. or jogging, and that's re- usually the starting point. Um, I've done it with the treadmill before, and, and that type mm-hmm. of interval work where it's um, you might you might work, walk for uh, four minutes and jog for one, yeah. or and so on, and then they do that periodically. I try mm-hmm. and get a commitment out of them. Now that may be that I go with them or I organise somebody to go mm-hmm. with them, but I try and get a commitment out of them. And I might ask them why they want to do it or mm-hmm. why they haven't been doing it. Um, yeah, but it's it's interspersing jogging into some walking. Yeah. Um, and 
Yeah, and I, I think if I'm advising someone of that, I'll keep in contact with them regularly. That's really important to check in, find out how it's going. And then they'll say, oh, Casey, I ran for three minutes today. It was terrific. <laughs> well awesome. done. That's terrific. So we're talking about progressive overload now. Let's see what's next. Yeah. And really that starting anything is important because you don't you don't get a second chance at a first impression yeah. with these sorts of things. So, um, but yeah, that would be how I approach it. Um, it's got to be- Accountability, in a, in a, like that, you know, when you said you- uh, Checking in. Yeah. So do you yeah. find that for most people, accountability is actually quite a powerful tool? Um, I think you've got to be not strategic, but careful how you go about it. Hmm. Um, oh, you didn't go today. Why not? Yeah, or, yeah. and that yeah. sort of thing. But uh, yes, that that's critical, I, I think. And um, yeah, I think at those stages, the less that people can ha- give cognitive thought to why they're doing it, yeah. um, and again, this helps knowing the person hmm. um, where you can make it smooth in a supportive environment the transition or the behaviour change will be much easier. Mm. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. It has been, as I said, an inspiration to chat with you and learn more about you. I have thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a lot myself and got a bit of therapy, so it's been useful. Thank you. <laughs> well, I must say you've asked me most, many of your questions I've never been asked before, so that was terrific. Yeah. And um, That's awesome. Thank you. I had to think deeply. <laughs> Good. It'll, you'll be ready for the next PhD. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Casey, and hopefully we'll see you back in Tassie soon. Thank you, Michelle. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. So send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. For a bunch of resources on mindful running that will help you get and stay mentally and physically fit, head over to the website fitmindfitbody.co and I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running. I'll see you soon. Bye.